My name is Renee. I am your host for Big Stick Energy. I am joined today by our guest co-host, Indra. We are both out on the Pacific Northwest of Canada. And I don't know if people are still skiing anywhere at this point. Maybe Mount Hood, which is where our guest skis. So I know that's still firing. But here we are full on bike season. I cannot wait to hit up Whistler Bike Park, hopefully sometime this week. So pretty into bike season these days, trail running, etc. That's what we're up to. Like I said, our guest this week, also in the Pacific Northwest, if you haven't watched Maritime Air, there's two parts and you should watch it because it's great and I love it. And I know that other people love it too because Hank is amazing. Um, really enjoyed chatting with Hank, talking about how to make the dream work, get the money so that you can do a project like this completely on his own with the filmer Finn. And they, they just did this project self-supported, which is pretty rad. Um, it's a great film for queer representation and really provides some diversity and narrative. And it's a really well done project. Uh, Hank is also quite passionate about equity and inclusion in snow sports and has recently started doing some competitive free ride events. So we're going to get into all of these topics in this episode. Um, so episode 33, Hank Stowers, dropping soon as we do a couple ads. We have a couple of sponsors for today's show, and both of them are going to be your friend when it comes to adventuring in the backcountry this summer. First one, Onyx. I know we have talked about this app when looking at backcountry skiing because it's really helpful with your route planning, navigation, etc. in the wintertime, but they also have function for summer with um, hiking and trail running. So you can search up the trails, you can look at elevation profile, distance, pros and cons, any shared photos, see kind of how hard the trail might be, how long it might take you. And there's nothing worse than not being prepared or getting lost and scared and alone in the wilderness. So Onyx, it's a map in your pocket. It has your back. And speaking of being prepared in the backcountry, we have another sponsor that's gonna help you out with that, Darn Tough Vermont. They call it Darn Tough because they are tough. These socks are built to last. Merino wool, so merino wicks better than cotton. Last thing you need when you're out there on your big hiking day with Onyx is to have sweaty, slimy, sloshy, you're welcome for the visual, stinky feet, because that's how you're going to get blisters too. And nobody wants any of the above, which is why having socks for any activity made from Reno is great. So check them out. Darn Tough Vermont. They give back money to trail networks, which is freaking sick. So Without further ado, we will drop our episode, episode 33, Hank Stowers. Thanks for listening to our ads. Go get yourself a mapping app, Onyx, and some hiking socks from Darn Tough. Hey. This is my first podcast. 
No way. Hell yeah, first time yeah. ever. Okay, great. Well, we'll start it off easy then. Who are you? What do you do? What are you going to teach hey. me? Hey, <laughs> yeah. Um, hi, I'm Hank. Uh, I'm Hank Stowers. I use he, she, and they pronouns. Um, I'm 27 years old. I live in Portland, Oregon. I'm from Durango, Colorado. Um, I'm a skier. I'm a, a competitive free ride skier, and I also like to ski with my friends a lot. Um, I am a advocate and organizer for inclusivity and equity in skiing. Um, I do that through a affinity group initiative called Open Slopes PDX that I co-organize with um, two other baddies. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the majority of me. I like to write. I like to surf. Uh, I like to go to clubs with my pals. I like food, all those things, human stuff. We both love those things. All of yeah. that. We love all of that. Totally. Um, you said some very interesting things. I guess starting with competitive free ride, what events do you do? Yeah. So I'm sorry. I'm like fidgeting with this. Um, I am a free ride world qualifier competitor. Um, it is a circuit that has a North American and a Eurasian slash Oceanic territory. Um, series and I do the one in North America. So I bop around uh, Canada and the US doing free ride competitions. And actually, this past season was like my first season really doing it. I'd only done one prior to that. So I'm actually pretty new to it, but it is how I spend a lot of my time and my resources in the winter, um, just kind of following those competitions. Um, it's been super fun. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's been a super fun experience. Um, I've met a lot of really cool people and yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that a lot more. It's going to be something that I try to do a lot of in the next few years. Have you done any events in Canada? I did. Yeah. Last year I did the Revelstoke competition and then I did two different competitions in kicking horse. There are different tiers of competition for these. So there's like, the two stars are more of an entry level and the four stars are more for like the higher ranked competitors. So I did the two and the four star in kicking horse. So I've done, I've done the, the two, or the three competitions in Canada. Yeah. And yeah. they were by far my favorite three also. Um, so much fun. Yeah. Especially I, kicking horse was so cool. Yeah. Kicking horse is a sick mountain. I've competed on all of those venues as well. So. Sick. Do you actively compete? <laughs> no, not anymore. I'm washed Boy. up. <laughs> yeah, no, same. I still do it anyway. <laughs> I just, I got to a point myself where I just didn't really see myself wanting to get to the Fred World Tour and it costs a lot of money and I had just had other goals, like professional goals, and it was the time to move on. Also, the fact that the kids these days, these like 18-year-olds, are so sandy and their joints don't hurt them as bad as my joints hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> so they're oh hitting stuff to flat and I'm like, hell no, <laughs> not in a million years. No, thank you. I'm yeah. out. <laughs> I totally empathize with that. I started doing those competitions. I used to compete in slope style when I was younger and I switched over to free ride more recently, partially because it's just like a, an aspect of skiing that is more interesting to me but partially because there's soft snow in the landings sometimes at least. Um, and my body is tired of landing on hard park landings. So yeah, free ride is really fun for me. 
Yeah, I competed in New Zealand and that was the visual inspection and seeing and experiencing how they do it on the European side of the equation, it completely ruined North American events for me because the snow is so much better. It's, yeah, it just made me realize how much the resorts here, they they don't really make as much money off of it because they don't make any money off of it, I don't think, to be honest. But in Europe, it's huge. So they get huge turnouts. It's like this big deal. And they'll actually close down a run. So you have fresh snow. Yeah, straight up. Freeride is so much more established in Europe. Like, even, I mean, at the World Tour level too, like Lily Bradley, who was an amateur this year on the Freeride World Tour, is she's a friend of mine. and like not a lot of people in the US like know who she is, but then you go over to Europe and like she's signing autographs. She was telling me that like people would like line up to get her signature and everybody knew who she was. And it's like, she's never even been, I don't know if she's been to Europe before that, but like she's not a European person, but she's way more well-known in the Europe free ride scene. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's interesting seeing how different it is there compared to here. And then we end up competing on just moguls yeah. because they won't shut the runs or or anything until the day before the competition but i don't know that was my biggest like takeaway from it but you meet so many awesome people and so many people who want to ski the way that you ski and just see the mountain in a really creative way you'll meet people that make lines out of things that you didn't even know could be a line which is a really cool form of art in some ways. Yeah, I so agree. It's it's really inspiring. Um, I was also really lucky to meet like, honestly, I didn't meet many. I think I met like one or two other queer skiers on the qualifier circuit. But then after I put out the film that I recently put out and kind of have been like making a few waves in the ski community, so many people who do those competitions who are queer reached out to me and are like, oh my God, like a queer freeride skier, you do these competitions. It's like, I didn't know that there's actually like a pretty solid amount of queer people in those spaces. Also on the world tour, um, I don't know, everybody's like out status and everything, but I've come to find out that there are like, I think like three or four queer skiers on the freeride world tour, which is so cool. Yeah, so dope. And yeah. like, you kind of coming back to your movie, which mm -hmm. is, I think I can speak for both Renee and myself. That's how you came up on our radars was your beautiful movie. And going back to what Renee was saying about people who, you know, can really creatively pick lines. I think that is exactly what you embody. Like I was reading something today from an interview that you shared where you said like, you want people to feel like you're dancing while you're skiing. And that's like exactly what we saw in your movie. And yeah, I just think that it was so beautiful. I'd never seen a portrayal like that before. And I think it's so deeply missing from the industry. Like what was it for you that inspired you to create those movies? <laughs> okay, thank you, Indra. I'm crying in the club right now. That was really <laughs> sweet. Um, yeah, I appreciate that you noticed that my, like noticed those aspects of my ski style in the movie. Um, so the movie is called Maritime Air. It's uh, We did a two-part release, but we just think of it as like one film. Um, the reason we did a two-part release was kind of to show a distinction of the, the summer and winter kind of seasons on Mount Hood. Um, 
but yeah, it was, I think a large part of filming that. So one of the major goals with filming that project was to shoot something entirely in the Mount Hood National Forest. So everything is shot within like the three parking lots for the Mount Hood ski areas that, that I like to ski at. And I think part of what influenced my skiing style in the movie and in this past year skiing is that Mount Hood is not traditionally like a free ride ski area. It's much better known as like a terrain park ski area. It's got a big community of like snowboarders and ski racers, but finding spaces to do free ride stuff there, it's like, it's more few and far between. So a lot of what I was doing was like revisiting places that I've gone to multiple times and thinking of like, how can I make this feature look unique? Or like, how can I kind of uh, like isolate or elevate uh, a feature that might be not necessarily like a free ride feature in the traditional scope of free ride skiing. Um, so a lot of that was like, you know, minimal modification of features, like building small jumps on top of cliffs and stuff like that. And yeah, I don't know. I really just wanted to go into it with an approach of like, I want to ski authentically. I don't want to try to ski like anybody else. I There's a huge legacy of people skiing and creating films at Mount Hood. And I have so much respect for that legacy of skiers. But it was kind of a project for me to figure out how I ski and specifically like how I ski in front of a camera because skiing for a film is different than just going and skiing. Like there's a lot of stop and go, a lot of premeditation. So I was doing a lot of internal process of like, how am I going to do something on this feature that feels authentic to like what I can do and is interesting and feels unique um, and might shift people's perspective about how to use that feature. Or like, you know, we built a lot of iconic jumps uh, or jumps in iconic locations, you know, places that have been uh, sites of jumps for like decades now. So a lot of that was coming into it. Like, how can I do this feature, but then figure out a way to make it unique by like adding a trick or hitting it in a different way. So that was a big part of that approach for me. So cool. And I think something that also really like distinguishes your film from other films was like, I don't know how to phrase this, but almost the, the duality and like showing who you are also outside of your ski gear. And so opening it with your pole dancing scene as well, something like none of us have ever seen before. Can you speak? And like, just tell us a bit more about what inspired you to show, you know, both sides of the coin. Yeah, absolutely. So I've thought about, I, I feel like I have like a slightly different answer for this every time somebody asks me this question. <clears throat> but um, one of the things that was the most important to me creating this film, um, I'm very much like a product of the new schoolers era of skiing, as much as that can be like a label, you know, like mid 2000s, um, kind of the renaissance of uh, film era skiing where like film companies were getting very large budgets for full length films. And a lot of what I found in watching all those and kind of growing up in that like media culture is that there was a lot of monotony and like a lot of sameness in those films. A lot of people kind of chasing like the same narrative experience, but the ones that stood out for me were films that um they leaned into like the person that is doing the skiing and and kind of you know illuminates like the aspects of identity that form their like that got them to where they are that form their skiing style that inform their approach to making a film 
Um, so for me, like what I always wanted to do in creating ski media is to tell like an authentic story um, and, you know, stylize and dramatize that story with a narrative, but it, I wanted it to be authentic. And um, the introduction to Maritime Air is a, uh, it is a dramatization of a true story, um, which is that in the, oh, I'm really bad at dates and times. I like it all swirls, but uh, two seasons ago, prior to the ski season starting, I was uh, just really in like, uh, I was very stuck. I didn't have a lot of money. I was like very underemployed <clears throat> and I wanted to kind of make a big thing of the next few ski seasons, but I didn't really have the resources to do that. I like couldn't afford a pass, couldn't afford skis. Um, and being immersed in the queer community of Portland, sex work is like a really prevalent a prevalent aspect of that community. There's like a lot of people that are stripping and camming and doing a variety of different sex work. Um, so I had a lot of friends and mentors that um, helped connect me to that scene, kind of gave me information and got me to the point where I felt comfortable um, experimenting and trying sex work as a form of income. Uh, I was originally camming and doing like webcam form sex work for a few months. And then I also did a little bit of stripping and I like took some pole dancing classes and went to a few different strip clubs. Um, ultimately that experience was, it was hard for me to stay in because of a, a, a combination of factors. A lot of them had to do with like the way that the clubs operate um, when you are somebody that's perceived as a man. So you go to like a gay strip club. Um, also it's just a nerve wracking experience. Oh my God, being on a pole in front of people and especially like being in, uh, in a character for the entire time I found to be difficult and draining, um, but also rewarding. And I eventually came away from that. I think it was like four months combined of on and off sex work with enough money saved up to kind of help me, um, to start my ski season here. I was able to afford a pair of skis. So as much as I wanted to create a film that had kind of some genre blending and was, uh, you know, in as far as I know, kind of the first film that really, the first ski film that really leans into like queer expression, it was also just a true story. It was just like a representation of what I was doing at that time in my life. Um, so yeah, it, it was easy. Like it was easy to come up with because it was just like, what have I been doing for the past two years? Let's make a film about that. I have goosebumps because it just like elevates what I already thought about the movie and just gives even more context. Um, so thank you so much for sharing that. And I can really hear like, you know, when you were speaking to being in a character, you've come across as such an authentic person already in like the freaking 10 minutes we've been here. So I can totally already understand how that could be draining, like being in a character when you are somebody who just so wholeheartedly wants to arrive fully 100% yourself in every circumstance. <laughs> Thank you, Indra. Uh, I feel like another way of saying that is that I'm not very good at acting, but I super <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, but like, honestly, the amount of respect that my like brief foray into sex work like earned, like the amount of respect that I gained for like full-time sex workers and the ability to like, if you have a bad day at work, I can't imagine like having a really rough day and then going and like putting on that face and being in a club for like six hours. That is amazing. I am yeah. shocked that people can do that. So it was really fun for me to try. It ultimately was not, 
like where I fit in the best with my personality and the way that I like to prioritize my time, but it's super cool. And yeah, I like, I recommend it to people. If you've ever wanted to learn more about your body, um, if you've ever wanted to feel radically body positive and like take a dive into that space, like go take some pole classes and then go to a club, like see how it feels. Um, I found it to be very educational and informative about myself for sure. Wow. Incredible. Honestly, I'm going to put that on my list of things to do before the end of this year. Yay. So thank cool. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did do pole dancing lesson once and that shit is hard. It is really hard. Oh my God. Yeah. Also like, it's funny. I, I think about this a lot, like from a skiing perspective, if skiers watch my film, they'll be like, that was sick. Good skiing. I like, don't know if I want pole dancers to watch my film because <laughs> it's like <laughs> such amateur level pole dancing, you know, like, and, and that's fine. I don't, I don't think you have to be good at things to create art about them, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it was definitely like pole dancing is so damn hard. Oh my God. Can I just say though, pole dancing in a ski movie, I was so down and I was watching it with my friend and we both got to the end and we were like, wow, I honestly wish there's more pole dancing. <laughs> That's how I felt too. too. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Um, This is the combo I didn't know I was missing for my whole life, but I love it. (laughs) I've met a couple other people through making Maritime Air who are also skiers and pole dancers. Um, I have a friend named Sienna that is uh, out in Bend who's like super sick at both. And it's cool because like you can kind of see the the parallels between the two skills and you can see like where they have like co-influence on each other. But yeah, I also wish that there was more pole dancing in my film. Um, I ran out of money to buy studio space. And also, like I said, that was like kind of, that was like the full expression of my skill on a pole. Like pole dancing is hard. (laughs) Requires so much arm and core strength. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But neither of which I have. Oh, totally. And like Indra said, it is kind of cool to have that context because it sounds like that experience was really formative for you and also speaks to what skiers will do and jobs they'll work, whether it's a good job or a bad job. And that just depends on the eye of the beholder, really. I mean, I know of people that strip and love it. So it's by no means like a bad job. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. And like, I know a lot of strippers that are so at home in that space and just like absolutely blossom like in a club environment and on a pole and it's so cool um Mm -hmm. yeah it does actually it was funny I was thinking about when I was making it like or actually not even when I was making it but more like when I was stripping and when I was camming about how like I had friends who were like on fishing boats in Alaska and how like there's kind of this universality for like working class skiers of like your off-season struggle job um, and I was, I would, I definitely thought it was kind of funny that like some people I know would be like on a fishing boat and I was like camming on chatterbait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some people are out there planting trees and you're like, I'll learn how to pole dance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, respect. Yeah. Thank you. hundred percent. Really I mean, it um, probably just made your skiing better. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. I haven't really thought about how pole dancing influenced my skiing, but so much body weight work so yeah Maybe. true a lot of managing dizziness in my experience <laughs> fair enough i was um, never that your... good at it <laughs> sorry Andrew, go on <laughs> that's okay um in your intro you spoke about an affinity group that you co-organize yeah. open you... yeah. 
PDX. Open Slopes PDX. Yeah, tell us more. Totally. So um, I'm a co-founder. By no means am I the person that runs Open Slopes. And honestly, like y'all should get in a room with the other two organizers because they're both really rad people with really cool stories. Um, Open Slopes is a it's a group of three people. It's myself, my partner Dallas Haley, and another co-organizer Miley O'Keefe. Um, and the three of us started it this winter, um, at the beginning of the winter. And the goal is to, we don't have like an exact mission statement because we're still kind of in our infancy, but our goal is to create uh, equity and promote inclusion in snow sports through um, on snow and off snow programs that uh, bring together disenfranchised and marginalized people in the common bond of snow sports of sliding down snow. Um, so that means a couple things. The major thing that we do and like the majority of our resources and time and the thing that is the most important to us is our BIPOC shred nights, or actually we should just call them BIPOC shred events. Um, some of them have been at night, but what those are um, is once every month in the winter this past year, we would randomly select 12 Black or Indigenous people of color to who apply to participate um, to do a snow sports experience that was like all access and inclusive um, financially. So like we'd cover the transportation costs. Um, we hired BIPOC instructors slash mentors to uh, kind of introduce them to snow sports. Most people were beginners. It was most of the participants first time doing uh, like snowboarding or skiing. Uh, yeah, and we provided rental equipment, passes, transportation, food, like the whole thing. Um, yeah, and it was a really successful year. It was awesome. We had a total of, I think, somewhere between 36 and 40 participants this season, as well as, I think, a total of somewhere between eight and 12 uh, instructors who we were able to pay to do that. Um, a, a huge amount, like, I don't know if it's a majority, but a lot of the people who participated are now like into snow sports. And that was the big like vector for success for us was whether or not people come away from it with like continued interest. Um, you know, it's not the ultimate standard of like, if we did a good job, because some people just don't like skiing and snowboarding and that's fine. But yeah, a, a bunch of people got gear and got into it afterwards. And it was really cool. Like, doing those programs and then later on like running into participants up on the mountain which was really rad the other part of open slopes that we do is um a little bit more lax we do uh queer shred meetups so those are usually spaces that are open they are like a queer space they're open to allies um and like we welcome anybody to come if they want to you know come find out maybe they're finding out about their sexuality by going to the queer shred meetup that's cool um, yeah, and they're like, they're really casual. We did one that was like a rope tow terrain park takeover at Mount Hood Ski Bowl, um, where we all showed up and, you know, had beer and like people learned how to hit a box or a rail or some more experienced riders would just like go and session the features and meet each other. And then just last week, we did our final event of the year. And that was we called it Gay Made Jump Day, which was another queer shred meetup. And we went and built a jump and hit it in awful conditions. It was like 25 degrees and snowing sideways in the middle of May um, because that's how this season has been. But it was still a great time. Um, and then we also do some off snow stuff too. We have had like meetups at breweries and fundraisers and stuff like that. 
Um, You're speaking Indra's language. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, from one organizer to another, hell yeah. That is so dope. Sidebar, we should do something together next winter. Um, Yeah. Inclusivity times open slopes. Yeah, that would be amazing. Also, (laughs) inclusivity is sick and like definitely a a form of inspiration or a source of inspiration for Open Slopes PDX. Um, You all like Wild Diversity, Mountain Noir, there's a bunch of groups doing stuff like this. Like we are by no means uh, the only ones. And I don't even think, I think we're kind of the only ones doing it on Mount Hood. But like when we started this program, something that was really cool is all these other different like affinity groups and orgs kind of came like they suddenly became visible to us for doing other similar things in the Pacific Northwest. There's like Bike Pock, which is a, a POC outdoor like bike group. There's um, QT BIPOC Climbers, um, Feel Good Surf Club, which is like a BIPOC and LGBTQ plus surf organization. There's like a lot of different groups doing these things. And it's been so exciting to like link up with all of them. We actually just had kind of like a club fair where we all got together and like skill shared and and people who were interested in participating showed up to learn about all of them it's been really cool uh, yeah i think i i found it very similarly like i was already aware of a lot of the organizations doing the work but then as i started you know building inclusivity i was like wow there's there are a lot of us and, and more have popped up in the last year and it's one of those things where i'm like there's such a beautiful power in numbers of us all being here to exist together because we can we can work for different communities. We can work together. We can knowledge share. Like there's just so much of an advantage having so many people in this work together. And it just, I don't know, it normalizes the dialogue around it too. Like the more that people are hearing about these affinity groups, like the more, I don't know, just like the more um, stoked on it, everybody will be. So that is so awesome. And a question I have for you is like, have you identified any barriers to organizing folks? Like when it comes to working with like BIPOC communities or queer communities, like do you have any, have you come across any barriers to getting people out or like getting them to stay in the sport? Yeah, that's a great question. I think to be completely honest. So my role in open slopes is mostly coordinating resources and equipment as far as the the BIPOC shred events that we have. Miley, who is a person of color, is definitely like the front person of our trio in running those events. I don't know if I have the experience to like speak to those participants' um, experiences on Hill and like afterwards. I think though that what I have noticed um, from just talking to different participants and especially like the, the Queer Shred Meetup participants is that there are huge... There are are systemic barriers and there are interpersonal barriers, for sure. Those are present. The interpersonal barriers, I think, are really, really visible in the terrain park. Um, And I think that a lot of that has to do with, like, the rhetoric that is really common in terrain parks, the kind of, like, hegemonic identity that's present in terrain parks, and that that part of the ski world is so saturated with... uh, privileged young white men who don't even have the exposure to know how toxic of a, of an environment they are they are creating um and yeah i think a lot of that is like if you are a person who is who reads as femme or is femme identifying or if you're queer 
like when you go into a terrain park, you're going to essentially be bullied, you know, in most places. I, I don't know if this is true for everywhere, but in my experience skiing terrain parks, and like I said, like I was a terrain park skier growing up. This is where like this is the ski genre that I've spent the most time in still is, is slope style. Um, you're going to be you're going to be cut off. Uh, men are going to drop in right behind you when you're trying to like learn a new trick and be like, you know, on your butt, like super intimidating. They're going to use homophobic slurs. They're going to use racist slurs. Like those are, unfortunately, that is common in the ski world. And whether or not um, a lot of the adults in that space are like willing to admit it, I think that it's really, really noticeable. And especially like, I think a lot of younger skiers are like talking about that, which is cool. A lot of them still aren't. And that's a bummer. But um, yeah, so there's like that huge interpersonal barrier of like, like literally being um, being discriminated against, like on a on a person to person level. And I think that that's like it, the train park's not the only space where that exists. That also exists in free ride competitions, like everywhere in skiing. Skiing is a sport that has been uh, co-opted by like white privilege in the past 50, 60 years, like hugely. But um I think it's kind of the most visible and the most audible in the terrain park. And then as far as systemic barriers, I think that, you know, like there's just a lot of uh, money and resources that go toward supporting a very particular vision of a skier. And I think that that skier is white, um, that skier is male, that skier is elite, um, that skier is uh, able-bodied by our like standards of, of ableism. Um, and I mean, there's a lot of things from equipment sizing to the way that uh, people are trained in ski shops to teach people about equipment to the way that instructors are taught to um, address groups of a variety of backgrounds. I think that there are a lot of systemic barriers. Um, the, the vast majority of the people who have participated in Open Slopes events, I think that the number one barrier would be community like kind of the tie for number one would be like community and resources um, because skiing is really expensive. And once you get up there, it's like, it's hard to learn and progress if you feel alone. And if you don't have community that can like hold you and encourage you and support you. Um, yeah. And there, like I said, there's so many cool groups that are, that are totally bucking that trend that are absolutely subverting like how skiing is. And it is changing. I, I truly believe that skiing is getting cooler and more accessible, but um yeah, it's a tough sport to get into, especially if you don't get into it when you're really, really young and have like the the kind of like the pipeline of resources and access that so many people do that I did. You know, I grew up in uh, like a very privileged access space to skiing. I got to go to like the the water ramp camps in the summer. I was on a ski team like um, and yeah, not a lot of people get access to that. That's a really tough thing to come by. Yeah, totally. I was having this conversation First of all, yeah, so well said. Like, thank you for that. Um, and yeah, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day and they were asking, uh, you know, how did how did inclusivity come about? And I think what I realized was that it is so grounded in my um, childhood growing up in team sports because I grew up in community. I grew up like supporting an entire team of people and having this understanding that like, your team won't be like your team is only as strong as your weakest link. And so like doing everything to grow everybody on your team collectively and figure out what everybody's strengths are so that you can all play together and play a good game together. And then going into skiing and just being so scared 
of the space and like so scared of like the egotistical individualism that plagues the space where it's you might go skiing out with a bunch of friends but like no friends on a pow day that's for sure and like you could go out with a huge group but like they might leave you in the dust if you are a bit slower or I might end up feeling like a burden if I yeah if I'm not keeping up if I'm following whatever it might be um and yeah it just was that realization of like oh no creating this affinity these affinity groups was like a solution to being able to create community in a space that community actually just looks very different in skiing totally yeah it's funny like Dallas, my partner and co-organizer of, of Open Slopes, um, is always like they, they're always saying like the reason that they do open slopes is because they want queer pals to ski with. It's like I'm like I'm being selfish. I just want friends to ski with. Yes. But it's like that's totally like spot on accurate in that I don't know, skiing is uh like for logistical reasons, it's really hard to ski with people with like stratified talents and skills. Like that's just it's tough and there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of space on the mountain as a whole where people can like come together with a variety of different skills. And I think one place where people really can come together, whether you're a beginner or an expert, is the park because it's a park. Like it literally feels like if you went to a park with swings and a slide, um, like anybody can be there. But unfortunately, the culture of park is so like hierarchicalized and hostile and hyper individualistic that it's like this really great, beautiful opportunity, but then it's like, no, it's for the boys. <laughs> so yeah, that's, I don't know. That's a huge aspect of why Open Slopes exists and a huge reason that we prioritize park as like a space for a lot of our like meetup events that aren't, um, that aren't so like programming, but more like hangout style things is like, we really want to reimagine what a terrain park culture looks like because that is kind of I think the the space where there's a lot of common ground where like there can be a beginner box right next to some like gnarly advanced feature and everybody can be in the same space and vibe and hang out and it can be a total party like when it's good it's great so much fun hanging out with your pals like drinking a beer and sessioning a couple features it doesn't matter how good people are it's really fun yeah, agreed. I've never thought about the park like that. And I think that's just like flipped a switch in my brain of it actually being this beautiful space where people can come together if we depatriarchy it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I love how you used the word hegemony to, I don't even know if I say that word right, but like hegemonic masculinity is so prevalent in the ski industry. And I mean, for myself, I can speak to my experience as a female. and the park is a place where even if I can do some tricks, I still feel intimidated. I've been cut off dropping into a jump by someone in a level one sweater. And I could hit that jump. I was standing at the top with my friend who was on the Freeride World Tour and we were both so pissed because we had to climb back up to the top of the knoll to drop back into it again because we knew that we could hit that jump. But people see that you got a ponytail and they're like, whoop. Yeah. Mm -hmm squeeze by you and no, then if I you, still agree and then if you don't do a trick or you feel scared or whatever like you just feel so intimidated and like you don't belong and it is a it is a really tricky place to try and improve if you're not a park skier you know like I'm not good at park and I want to be better at park but I 
I need, I don't know, like I need the push to get there. And if I have the support, I learn new stuff all the time. But if I don't, then I just like don't even bother, you know? So yeah. the aspect is so true. And that's part of what Wimtang was about in the beginning as well, is us being like, we want more girls to ski with. Yeah, we know, oh, yeah. We know the girls want to ski, and we know the girls can ski, but where are they at? <laughs> yeah, totally. I think that's super powerful, like just bringing together people in that space. Also, like something, you know, I uh, grew up in, uh, like, I was assigned male at birth. I was identifying as a cis man for the vast majority of my life. It's only been like, I honestly don't know, like maybe four years or something like that, that I've been identifying as non-binary, but like being a recipient of, and you know, I'm still a recipient of male privilege in the park for sure. And that can be like, that's a, a, a complicated experience because as a non-binary person, I'm like, oh, you're not seeing me, but also like you greet me into this space where people that you read as being like femme or female are treated with such hostility. And like skiing is, skiing and extreme sports in general have been so deeply subject to like binaristic gender categorization. And I think a lot of that is because of competition. And like, honestly, in a lot of ways, I feel like we're not even ready for the conversation of like non-binary identities because there's so many people that are being seen as women in the park um, and people who are women in the park who are just getting treated like shit. Like if you look like a woman or like a woman to like most of those people, whether you are or aren't, you're going to be like seconded. You're going to be othered in the park. Um, so that's not an experience that like I have, but I have seen it in a lot of my friends who are either non-binary people who like read as femme to the patriarchy or, or who are women. Um, yeah. And it's like that space is scary and hostile and really, really hard if you have like, even if you just fucking have long hair, like if somebody like thinks you're a woman, they're going to treat you differently in the park. Um, and by someone, I mean like the, the park hegemony, like the, the 40 men all grouped up at the top, all wearing the same tall tee, all barking at each other <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. It's a tough place, but spring park laps. There's so, <laughs> so much fun. Oh my god, it's a vibe. And when you're with like the right people, it's amazing. It's just such yeah, a good time. Totally. It's so true. Like, no matter what you're doing, if you have the right people, it's a good time. I think that's just like sports in general. But finding your community, that's the hard part. And yeah. that's why like, all of us have created and organized affinity groups <laughs> to find that. Because absolutely such a game changer when you when you can feel like psychologically safe in a group of people that you're with, it just like absolutely impacts the way that you're able to show up and like exist there confidently or at least a little bit more confidently. Totally. So agree. Yeah, totally. And part of that is just wanting people to not experience what you've experienced and trying to make that better for the next generation so that maybe they will see a space where they feel safe. And like Hank, when you're talking about open slopes, like, the vibe that you guys were creating is a safe space for people to try the sport where they can try it with people that look like them. And then they might make some friends in that first group they do. And then they have people to learn with throughout because it can be hard when you're stratis like stratified um, ability levels. So you find people that are at your level from the beginning 
And maybe that's like the thing that makes them keep going is that now they also have this friend they can go with at the same time. Because that's something that I've seen on on the women's side of things too is girls that meet through an event and then next thing you know, they're telling you, wow, if we met five years earlier, like we would have been maid of honor at each other's weddings or something wild. And it just sings to your heart so much that you've created something where people can find their like sport sports and outdoor soulmates yeah oh my god they're like shred family and Absolutely. i don't know like, i'm always i have a tiktok i make a lot of tiktoks uh and the boys are out on tiktok like that group of like park ski bros they're on tiktok they talk shit about it but they're all on tiktok and they're always commenting stuff on my videos like like it doesn't even matter who you are. Like we literally can't see your face. Like just go ski park. Like it's not even real. Like what your race doesn't matter if you're in the park, like we can't see you. And I fear that those men will never understand. I don't necessarily think that skiing is going to be the site for them to have like a, an epiphany about how oppression works and how systems of oppression work. But what I wish I could say to all of them is like, if you could be in the position of being in the outside group, like on the island of marginalized and alternative and disenfranchised and oppressed skiers, and then you could experience what those group settings feel like to be like both in those hostile spaces and in like the liberatory, like community intentional spaces that like you guys also have experience creating, um, then like, then they'd get it. Cause like the difference is night and day. It literally goes from being like, like people will be like, shivering and scared you know like actually you know psychosomatically terrified at the top of a park and if you get around the right people it's like that totally goes away because you feel comfortable being scared you know it's it's okay to be nervous about something it's okay to not do something it's okay to to not do something well because it's your first time like being in a space where people hold each other and like kind of a more like radically compassionate ski community is a vibe like it is the best way to ski with your friends is when you're like lifting each other up it's so much more fun it makes the whole sport better yeah i couldn't agree more and like i i totally hear what you're saying about those people who just will never see it like they're like we can't see you it doesn't even matter we don't know your race we don't know your gender and it's like but you just threw the t-word out when somebody did a trick like you're, we're not actively existing in spaces that are inherently inclusive. It's not all only about the way that you treat me when I'm there. It's actually about the words that you say. It's about the way that you hold space or the way that you don't hold space. And like, I can feel it. And so it's just like, yeah, it's just the way that people fail to understand. Like it's every aspect through which you interact with the space makes it what it is. And then inherently invites some people and excludes and makes a whole ton of other people feel like they're on that island that you're speaking to yeah I also think that these people don't truly understand the experience and sometimes it's just that like sometimes you don't understand things because you're just blind to it and then someone points it out and you're like wow I just never thought of that I'm so sorry but there's the other side of things where people don't understand it because they won't dive that far into it the reason why they act the way they do is because they themselves don't ever want to associate with that identity for whatever internal reasons that they have, that they haven't moved past. And so that it comes back to that hegemonic 
masculinity or however you want to describe it, where they're upholding a certain culture that keeps other people down so that they can stay at the top. And it's yeah. yeah, exactly. Because yeah. changing the culture would put them at more equilibrium to all of, to everybody else, but you have to let go of some of your privilege and practices in order for us all to exist equitably. Absolutely. Facts. Yeah. I think, you know, and it's funny too, like, I always see the same reaction from the like the ski bros about conversations like this, which is like, like I I I hear all this rhetoric, but like I don't see this stuff in practice. And honestly, like I think that a lot of that is just really it's like hypocrisy because I've been on both sides of this equation, right? Like I've been a person who identified as a cis straight man, and I am white. Um, and I am from a middle-class background and like, I know for a fact, like just, just to bring the receipts, like I wrote up chairlifts with people making anti-black jokes. Like I was a person that used racist humor when I was a little kid. Like that's not uncommon at a ski area. That's like commonplace stuff. Um, like words, like, I mean, I'm not going to use slur words on your guys' podcast, but like the, the variety of slur words that exist that are like uh, against women and against queer people, like those are such commonplace words and language that park bros use when they're just around other park bros. And like, they'll deny all day, but like, I've been a park bro. I know, like, that's, that's a thing. Um, and yeah, when people are like, it's pearl clutching, like there's so much, there's so much of that in the, in the park community and the ski community at large of people saying like, oh, like, I, I see you and I hear you, but I'm not going to change anything uh, or I'm going to pretend that I don't see these things happening because at the end of the day, like, that's their, that's their safe space. That's their, like, the space where they can be unchecked in, uh, in sexism and racism and homophobia and transphobia um, because it's, like, their little private culture that they have for themselves. Um, but it's not, and we're taking it, and it's gonna be gay it's gonna be yassified as fuck it's gonna be intersectional it's ours now sorry Sorry. (laughs) yeah yeah i had a really good point and i forgot it (laughs) (laughs) i was ranting no No, you were just saying all this good stuff all in a row and i was like oh man i had i had a point but yeah that was pretty good summary of all ultimately it just comes down to the hegemonic <laughs> culture absolutely yeah. absolutely I ha- oh i was gonna say something so smart and now nobody will ever know damn it'll, it'll come back to me when this is all over we'll have yeah. like a bonus edition like how albums have like their bonus cut bonus we can just cut. have like 15 more minutes where you're like oh, i wanted to say this one thing we'll like all group back up and talk about it and then go away yeah totally <laughs> Totally. Now I don't even remember what we were talking about. <sighs> oh my god, my brain. Yeah. <laughs> Where did um, we just end off there? So, do you have any plan? So, ski season's over. Yeah. For now, kind of. Actually, plans? that's not totally true up here. I'm like still filming and like still jumping and building stuff, but incredible. Much less now. Like I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can to take breaks from skiing because I'm like yeah. not burnt out, but like I like seasons. I like yeah. surfing. I like biking around and sitting in parks with my friends in the summer. So yeah. I'm skiing much less now. So we're skiing much less. Yeah. Um, do you have plans? Like what's, what is you and your team's vision for open slopes next year? 
Yeah. So as far as open slope stuff, um, I think that we're looking to do more of the same and bigger. Like mm -hmm. we're hoping to bring on another BIPOC organizer right now. Like we're two white organizers and one person of color. Um, and we definitely want to bring on a BIPOC organizer. We'd ultimately really like to pay that person. Um, none of us are being paid right now, but like it would be really cool long term if we could create some some pay structures for the people that are organizing. Um, but yeah, we just want to keep doing what we're doing. We want to keep having like cool queer events. We want to keep having our BIPOC shred events. Uh, we might do them in other places. It's all kind of up in the air and we're kind of taking a, a, a break right now. We're kind of resting a little bit. Um, Good. But yeah, definitely. I think that as far as open slopes, the, the next chapter is just like elevating and expanding what we already do. Amazing. Yeah. That rest piece, I think in the summertime is integral um just for kind of refreshing yourself getting ready for the next ski season and also just taking some time to do other things that you love like surfing and drinking beers in parks with your friends and yeah and all of that <laughs> and enjoying the sun so totally. that's amazing oh and, and then what about for you like what's up and coming yeah that's a good question thank you um I am gonna be competing again. I'm gonna do the FWQ circuit. I really do wanna qualify for the Freeride World Tour. Um, I don't know how likely that is to happen, but I really like the competitions and I've been improving at them every single time I do them. So I'm gonna like dive even more into that space. I'm gonna do more FWQ competitions. I'll probably be in Canada in January if y'all wanna link up. Um, and then also doing all the ones down in the States, um, Utah, Montana, Colorado, New Mexico, all those. Um, and then I definitely want to make more queer ski media as well. And honestly, like I've been talking with a lot of different people about a lot of different projects. Um, Maritime Air being my debut film, a lot of it was just like trying to do something that felt like a full film length of skiing. And I really wanted to reflect a lot of like the, the ski edit style culture that I kind of came up watching and like that I grew up very much enculturated in of like, you know, a, a four minute cut of like just skiing over a song. Moving forward with film stuff, I'd really like to create a ski media that kind of transcends the genre of ski media. Like I want there to be skiing in it but I also want it to like tell stories and I want there to be drama and I want there to be like skiing, ski media has, it's in this rut where like, it's either just a highlight reel or it's a documentary with like the same lines verbatim about things. And people do both of those things. Well, like by no means am I saying they're, they're like all ski media is bad. Like on one end, like the approach film, or like uh, Connor Ryan's Spirit of the Peaks. Like those are two amazing ski films that exist right now. But I think that the majority of ski films for me just kind of lack like a little bit of substance. Like they lack that drama and that flair. And I really want to create ski media that is like fun to watch even if you're not a skier. Um, so that's something that I'm kind of looking to do next year. And yeah, I hope to make a film. I've been talking with some people about it. We've been writing some scripts, uh, no promises, no details, but I would like to make that a part of my next season. So yeah, more open slopes, competition, um, and more filming. Kind of the same. I love that take on films because anyone that's listened to this podcast in the past and people we've had on who have made cool films, 
I feel like everyone that we've interviewed that has done a movie has had some kind of storyline or just a cool story behind their film. And it's not another, oh, we went skiing with the boys and then we went to this other place and we went skiing with the boys. Yeah. And, and that's the boys. We all had some jumps and we did some tricks with the boys. And then we cracked some beers with the boys. I was like, I don't need to keep going because everyone gets the point. But I, I once listened to another podcast and I listened to three or four episodes in a row. And it was literally the same story over and over and over again of this was my childhood. Then I did these competitions and then I filmed this movie. And now I'm working on this project with these guys and we're going to these places and skiing pow and doing tricks. And it was the same thing over and over again. So you're talking about how you feel about ski films. And I'm like, are you in my brain? Like this is weird. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we all have a lot of like similar thoughts about skiing in that world. But yeah, I mean, and you know, it's like none of those things are bad inherently. Like that's cool. It's cool that no. you do that with your friends. Like There's I love I love always, that for you. Always going to be a place for ski porn. And I do truly believe that. But I also think that we can gain so much from having relatable media that is going to speak to such a larger audience and an audience that we weren't necessarily speaking to before. And I think there's also a lot of room for marketing in that space. And I'm by no means like a marketing, um, like I don't, I just learn as I go, mm. but there's a lot of people that could ski and they don't. And it's groups like inclusivity and open slopes. Like those are the people that we could be speaking to. Yeah, no, totally. I also, I work in marketing in my day job also. And I totally agree that like, even, you know, if I like kind of cringe as I say it, but like, as far as like expanding the industry, like they know the ski industry knows that the next thing that they need to do is go out and not just like further into like their current market demographic. But yeah, for me, something that I really want to do, like I am a huge, huge fan and a lot of my identity has been shaped by like speculative fiction and science fiction um i really love like octavia butler is like my bible like those people and that literature is beautiful to me and i would really like to see ski media that is um dramatic that's like narrative form um and and things that are speculative i would love to see more ski media tell stories um using more using different styles than like the traditional templates for ski media because there are kind of a few major templates that people use um so that's something that i'm hoping to both do and that i hope to see more of from other people in the future is like like show me uh show me some ski media that only has like four minutes of skiing and 20 minutes of drama like i want to see that i want to see a plot that like incorporates skiing but is not about skiing Yes, but, me but not super proof. I remember Tom oh God, no, not super made a movie not and it was like this like kidnapping storyline mixed in with like, I feel like it also had like water dripping on flowers and then a little bit of skiing and then back to the kidnapping scene. And I went to the premiere and he literally, someone introduced me to him at the bar and he literally asked me like, oh, what did you think of my movie? And I was like, dude, I'm not going to lie to you. It was not good. 
Oh no! Like, I also was, I watched like, that movie. something new, but it just like the drama was so hard to follow. Yeah, but yes, love that idea. That's just an example of bad execution. <laughs> yeah, Superproof was uh, a good ski movie as far as the skiing in it, and that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> like there, there was good skiing in that movie. To be fair, I was just really angry because the Pettits knocked over our beer tower at the front of the theater. We had this huge beer can tower built up and they knocked it over. So then I was just like, yeah, now I especially don't like this movie. So yeah. screw you. And I'm going to say it to your face. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. Either, but, well, petty. I don't know Sean or Callum, but uh, I will say that it seems like Sean Pettit is a very different person than he was when he was a professional skier. I don't know him. I don't know anything about him. But I don't yeah. know them either. All I have to go on is that they knocked over my beer tower and I didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, yeah, and there is like, there are a few ski movies that do have that kind of narrative approach and they've all been like pretty gimmicky and like not super well done. And I would just love to see like, I want to see somebody who's more interested in making a film than a ski movie make a ski movie. I want to see that. That'd be cool. I can't wait for your ski movie. Yeah, you're the one who's gonna do it. <laughs> I hope so. We'll try. We'll see what happens. Absolutely. Well, we do have to wind it down here. Do you have any tips for people that I don't know if there's people that listen who aren't already skiers? I know a lot of listeners are already skiers, but maybe they know someone, a friend that wants to get into skiing or wants to get into the park. Any little bits of advice for how to how to get them in there how to support people to try new things oh my god yeah that's a cool question um i think that if you are new to this sport or any other outdoor sport i think that the best way to get into it is um i think it's really important to go with people who are like make sure that your first experience doing a sport is with someone that is excited for you to experience something and doesn't have like an ulterior motive of getting you into that space for whatever reason. I don't know. I just hear about a lot of people like going on ski dates and it's like, you should not be learning how to ski from someone on a date. Probably most likely that's going to be a rough experience, but yeah, I think especially with skiing, like starting in a space that feels comfortable and creative and easy is really cool. And that doesn't have to be at the ski area. Like skiing is expensive. And if you're not sure if you want to do it or not, or if you're not sure if you want to try park skiing and like, don't want to pay for a park, go grab like a PVC rail tube out of a dumpster at a construction site and go hike up to some random place with snow with your friends and like hang out all day. And you'll learn just as much. Like you'll get just as good. Um, yeah. I think, People often separate skiing from the rest of the world because it takes place like up in the Alpine, up in the tops of these massive peaks, like far away. But I think that a lot of the coolest and most inspiring skiing is like the skiing that is done in the towns and like in people's backyards, like skiing is all of those things. Um, and yeah, it really excites me to see like people get into skiing in ways that are more accessible. So 
I mean, and honestly, maybe a quick shout out to people that want to bring their friends skiing is like, maybe that's where to start. Like, don't go take them to the top of peak six at Breckenridge, like take them to the tiny little mom and pop mountain that has just a beginner run or take them to a slope where you can like walk up and practice going down. Um, it's an intimidating and hard place to get into. And once you're in it, it is like the epitome of rewarding. I mean, you two both know, because at the end of the day, even if we like criticize ski community and culture, like we're all skiers, we all love doing this thing. Um, and it's because it's like, it is body liberating. It is gender euphoric. It is, you know, psychologically healing. Like skiing is a beautiful thing to do if you can feel good and feel safe while you're doing it. So like if you're bringing someone skiing or if you're skiing for the first time, start in a place that feels safe. Um, it's going to be more fun. Amen. Okay. Yes. And I just remembered what I was going to say earlier. Yes. We got it in. I remembered. You were talking about new schoolers bros on TikTok. And yeah. I wanted to make the point that it's also not just dudes because we're like ragging on dudes all the time as well. But I've had girls who exist in the space tell me that they've never felt barriers or they don't feel like they need representation because that is their own experience and it might not be the experience of everyone else, but they also are out there saying these things. So it also, it really doesn't help anyone else when they can't also just understand what other people are going through and why other people might feel othered in the park or why they might feel marginalized or why it might be harder for them to just get out there in the first place or even try skiing in general. So yeah. I, that was my oh, point. 100%. It's, it's I agree. not like, just dudes, like internalized misogyny is also real when you're at the top and it's can be really hard to speak out against something when you also hold that queen bee token female space yeah. because you're benefiting from the same hierarchical system that if you've attained that place of respect, do you give it up because you are also like understanding someone else's experience and letting them come up to the place that you are at is, it can be really hard for people. Well, yeah, because you got there by conforming to the system. And so totally. changing the system threatens you as well. And so at the end of the day, it's just like even women making those comments towards other women, it's all symptoms of misogyny and patriarchy that you know can impact anybody no matter what gender you are we can all have internalized misogyny we can all carry these symptoms of patriarchy and if patriarchy has allowed us to get to the top or near the top of anything like a threat to the patriarchy is still a threat to our existence mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and thank you for saying you were saying too that you've been that person that has said those slurs and you know I have too and now I know better and I don't and I still learn every day how to do things better and people point stuff out to me and I have to google stuff and look it up and I'm not perfect by any means I'm trying but sure as hell I'm not perfect so. yeah and no one is and I think like but, if you can oh I'm sorry go ahead Oh, no worries. I was just going to say that, that that's also kind of a, an important thing to, as well is that you we've had this effort to do better. And that just shows also where the ski industry has gone in the last few years of individuals learning that you can't say this thing or 
that we need these groups to exist, that this didn't exist five years ago in a lot of spaces. So yeah. the more that we do, the more other people will start to think in those ways and the less TikTok boys there will be. And the more <laughs> the TikTok boys will just get blown up online for saying shit that they say. <laughs> Yeah, or maybe they'll like turn inward and start to like reflect on their own identity and maybe they're not straight or cis or whatever, maybe, or maybe they're just like a good fucking ally. Good, that's cool too. Um, but yeah, like I think if if uh if I could tell like all of the people that are in that like ski in group, like if I could tell them one thing, it's like if you can isolate any single point or lane of privilege that you have, whether that's like class privilege, whether that is uh, the privilege of your skin color, your gender, your like any of those different points that inform our culture and society. If you can highlight one where you're privileged, then like you should lead with empathy and curiosity anytime that that thing comes up. Cause like somebody that you're talking to isn't going to have that point of privilege and you're not going to understand where they're coming from until they tell you until like they explain it to you. And even then, like, it's hard to understand where people are coming from. Like it's hard to relate to other people's experience. So I think that if everybody in the ski scene just like led with a little bit more empathy and weren't afraid to be curious to like to ask people about their experiences, find out why the park is scary instead of denying that the park is scary. Like, lead with empathy and ask questions and the whole scene will get better. And it's just more fun. Like straight up, it's just more fun. It'll be more fun for the ski bros too. They'll have a better time. Like everybody will have a better time skiing if we all uh, liberate this space. Totally. The ski bros will meet more chicks if they just blend with a bit more empathy. <laughs> yeah. Like actually. Um, Hank, do you have any final shout outs? for any anybody any brands like this is your chance to plug away i have no shout outs to brands brands should take note of that um <laughs> <laughs> uh, i do want to give like a huge shout out to the people that helped me make my film um and you know it's not even my film like frankly it is a film that finn peterson and i made together finn and i are going to come back on out of bounds later in the fall with adam um and we're gonna chat and that's going to be super cool. But yeah, huge shouts out to Finn Peterson. Um, if you are looking to make cool, subversive film media, hit that kid up. He's awesome. Um, and then, yeah, I just want to give like a huge shout out to if you're a person who is a skier or a snowboarder or is interested in that space and you feel like it maybe isn't your lane, like shout out to you for trying. Shouts out to you for uh, showing up and taking the initiative and like being in a space that might feel hostile and I hope that it's really rewarding to you. Um, yeah, I want everybody who does snow sports to flourish. So I'm proud of everybody who is taking the risk of trying it. That's really cool. Hell yeah. Damn. I can just quote Hank all day, but I don't, I don't need to. <laughs> um, Hank, where can people find you on social media and like TikTok as well? Yeah, uh, Hank Stowers on Instagram, Hank.ski on TikTok, um, Hank Stowers on YouTube. Um, if you're at, like, if you're on Mount Hood, hit me up. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm like, kind of always there, like, in the summer, too. So, yeah, I guess those are the main spaces. Um, yeah, and if you're, if you make TikToks, also, like, I love mutuals on TikTok, um, especially, like, in the ski space, because 
ski TikTok is like a little dry and I want it to be more exciting. So come, come to TikTok skiers. It's fun. It's a party. It's more fun than Instagram. I've yet to be convinced, but uh, it's, it's kind of the best place on earth. I mean, that's like, that's aggressive, but TikTok it's the best is place on the internet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There we go. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, hey, thank you so much for hanging I, out with us oh man i send my friends like instagram reels and they're like oh, i saw this on tiktok two weeks ago get with it yeah, that's, true. Yeah, that's true i'm like an old lady i don't have it yet i know it'll <laughs> suck up all my time and i can't be distracted by something else Amen. yeah yeah i empathize with that too it does take a lot of time out of my life thank you so much hank thanks for coming on this was such an awesome conversation and can't wait to hear your interview with adam coming in the fall and can't yeah. wait to watch your ski movie eventually oh yeah you're gonna make a whole feature film i know yeah it. sure maybe yeah, <laughs> <Matthew>. <laughs> well thank you guys both so much um, yeah maybe there are no more sponsors please buy hank studio time because we love it <laughs> yes. yeah exactly literally yeah. Um, yeah, thank you guys so much, Andrew and Renee. This was awesome. I really appreciate both of you and all the things you do in the ski world as well. So thanks for the chance to talk with y'all. It was great.